We thank you, O God, that our sin is forgiven and that we are pardoned because of what Jesus has done. And all we can say is thank you to that. We are eternally, eternally thankful. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Marcio already highlighted this, but if you're available tonight, I would encourage you to come out. I have a great deal of respect for John Mahaffey. I've known him for over 20 years. He's been a good friend, uh, and he will be sharing tonight. He was here last Sunday night. Uh, next week, uh, Lorna Yunker Anderson and Sue Montgomery will be sharing. They were also here last Sunday night when John Thompson was here. John did an excellent job uh, sharing with us. And tonight, John's just going to walk through his story and experience in the Philippines, in Toronto, in Hamilton. He's going to talk about deliverance ministry, like what do you do? Uh, if you feel like you're demonized, if you've opened uh, a foothold of your life to the demonic, what do you do? Um, and what do you do if you're dealing with others as you kind of walk alongside? And then he's going to talk about renouncing and breaking any past links with the occult and how, and how you do that in your life. Um, so that's tonight. And if you haven't signed up, you can go on our website and sign up just so we know how many are coming. But if you're available, I would encourage you to join us. So what happened to all the demons that fell. Where are they? When Satan fell, a whole group of the demonic angels, the angels that were in rebellion with them, fell with him. And if you read through the Gospels, in preparing for this, I read through the Gospels and the book of Acts about three times, uh, looking for every time that it's spoken of, the demonic demons, Satan, spiritual warfare through those books specifically of the Bible, the four Gospels and the book of Acts. And it's dozens of times. I recorded dozens of passages where this occurs through the New Testament. I mean, sometimes it's just a little sentence where it talks about Jesus healed all the sick and cast out all the demons. It's just a sentence as he's in a region. And so where are they? Well, some would theorize that they were never there, that the apostles made this up that the writers of Scripture made it up and there was nothing demonic and that they weren't there. Some would suggest that they were there, but they're just not here now. That in their binding, that they're no longer active, and so, uh, so in that, they're not active today anymore. Some uh, others uh, would suggest that they're only in third world countries. It's only in places where people still believe in witchcraft or mysticism of sorts. But I would suggest that they are here. Now, when I say here, I don't necessarily mean here right now, this morning, although that doesn't surprise me either if they are here. I mean they are a part of Western culture, and they show up in a variety of ways. Demons are smart, and so they're going to show up in ways at times where we may not recognize them, and I'll walk through that today in terms of what that looks like. Last Sunday, if you were here, I talked about Satan and hell. Uh, and this Sunday is Demon Sunday, so welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, uh, but walking through and trying to understand how to, how to deal with the demonic can be really challenging. I don't know. I think it's 14 years ago now. Many of you have heard this, but I'm in my office. It's January 2nd, and there's a knock on the door of the office at the old building. And uh, I'm alone in the office. Everybody else was off, but I was preparing for my sermon that week. And there's four guys standing there. It's about 9 in the morning, and, and they're terrified. They're just terrified. And they're like 19, 20 years old. I don't know them, and, uh, but they knew who we were. And they said, we were partying uh, like yesterday, 
Uh, we all went somewhere for New Year's Eve, and then yesterday we were kind of continuing the party. Uh, and as we were partying, partying, a demon showed up. Like, really? Like, yeah, a demon showed up. And, and it terrorized us. We saw these two eyes. It moved some things across the room, uh, and no one was there. And, uh, and so I'm just kind of standing there. I said, you know, come in. It's cold outside. It was January 2nd. And they're telling me this story, and they're shaking. And uh, the one kid says, we have it on video. I said, you do? They said, yeah. I said, pull her out. Let's see the video. So they, they show me the video. And I'm like, this was eerie. Like, this was the, like, it looked like Hollywood magic, what I was watching. I saw the two eyes. I saw the filing cabinet move across the floor. I saw other objects move. And I thought, well, they said, we want to go back and get our stuff. We're moving out. I said, when did you move in? They said, December 31st. <laughs> and uh, they said, we want to move out. And uh, would you come with us to get our stuff? I said, sure. So I went down to the house with them on Brock Street. We're going inside, and the lady next door is shoveling the walk, and she says, oh, pastor, are you here about the ghost? I said, tell me more. And um, she, says, she says, well, 13 years ago, the guy that lived here killed himself in the apartment, like in the, in the complex, and his ghost has been here ever since. I said, oh, that's good to know. And... Um, so I prayed outside of it. I, I had very little experience with this. I'd, I'd had a course with Roy Matheson, who was a prophet Tyndale. I'd read a couple of books on this, and what was I doing? And so I prayed that as we were outside, that God would protect us. So the four guys walked in with me, and then I asked if I could pray again with them inside, right? And they said, yeah, you can. And so inside the house, uh, um, we're, there, we're there, and I just say, okay, guys, I'm going to pray so just follow along with my prayer. So I pray that the demon would just show up, that it would manifest itself so that we would know whether it was there or not. And literally, the guy beside me punches me in the arm and says, what are you doing, man? I'm like, we've already seen it. We're terrified, man. He said, I beat myself last night. I don't want to do it again today. I'm like, okay, that's way too much information, to be honest. Um, and so we walked room for room, and I said, like, guys, for me to know if this is real, I just need to ask this demon to show up. So we walked from room to room, and I just asked God to allow this demon to reveal himself or itself if it was there. Now, it never happened. They were very thankful. They literally packed up their stuff. They hadn't moved all furniture and stuff, and they, just, they literally packed up their stuff, left the house, and said, we'll just figure this out later. A couple of them came here for a little while years ago uh, for probably three or four months um, I remember later that week, I told Paul that I had done this, and Paul said, alone? I said, no, the four, the four non-Christian guys were with you. You just went alone? I said, yeah, it wasn't smart, was it? He said, no, it's not smart. Like, you need a team of people. We should have been praying through this. And so what do you do? Like, if your neighbor came to you today and said, I believe there's a demon in my house. I believe what we're experiencing in our home is demonic. And you're a Christian. I know you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You were at church this morning. And they said, can you help me? What would you say? Obviously, after that story, you wouldn't call me, right? Um, but what would you say? What would you do? Where do you believe the demons are today? I believe they're all around us. So if some of you were here Sunday night, because I had planned this well before what I knew John was talking about Sunday night, because he was last Sunday night, going to talk about spiritual gifts, um, and, and spiritual warfare, but he switched to, uh, can, a, can a believer uh, be possessed? And I'll get to that later today. You'll hear some of the same stuff because we've been trained by the same people. Um, 
we're just going to walk through some passages. The first one is this, Ephesians 2. I read this a couple of weeks ago as he started the series, beginning in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. So you have your three opponents in your Christian life. The world, right? So the world, it's ideology, it's philosophy, it is combating you. The world is combating you. Everything about the world is combating you. The world right now in Western culture tries to tell you God doesn't exist, right? We went from a place where we assumed God's existence so we doubted God's existence to the, where our culture actually assumes his non-existence. Most non-believers you talk to, their starting point is they assume the non-existence of God. Now, people will say to me, well, Dwayne, there's a lot of people who are spiritual. Sure, They're, they have some form of spirituality, but, but it's in nature. It's not in a higher supreme being. It's not in God. And so the world, think about money. Think about sex. Think about, you think of the topic and the world and its ideology and the way it tries to influence us. So it's a temptation from the world. The second is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I looked at this last week. That's Satan. So Satan himself, the demonic realm, is one of the tempters in our lives. And then thirdly, the flesh, our own sinful nature. We have desires, right? Some of us lean more towards pride. Some of us lean more towards anger. Some of us lean more towards, you name it, right? An unforgiving spirit, lying, gossip, greed. And we have natural not natural in terms of biological, in terms of our fallen. Uh, So because of our fallenness, these are the inclinations of our fallenness that we are struggling with. And so all three are at war with us. Now it's important to remember that Christ is victorious. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Christ is the victor. He has conquered sin and Satan and death. He's conquered the world. He allows us to crucify the old sinful nature and put on the new nature in Christ. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. So if you're a believer today, God's Spirit is in you. So the two things before I go on is this. If you're sitting here today, have you realized Christ's victory? Have you repented of sin and turned to him to acknowledge his victory? Have you turned for whatever you were trusting into him to submit to him and say, Jesus, I need you to run my life, not me? Has there been a point? I mean, for some people, as we've just recently shared testimonies and stories of God's conversion in our lives through discovering James North. For some, it's a process, and they can't point to a a moment in time. For others, it is a moment in time where God has just woken someone up. But are you saved this morning? Are you saved? And if you are, God's Spirit is in you. His Spirit is in you. So let's talk about demons. The demonic realm, beginning in Revelation 12. Verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven, and the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. No, John doesn't want you to misunderstand who he's talking about in verse 9. He is the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, or Satan. He uses all four terms that are used in Scripture of him right here in this passage. He says, I don't want you to be confused. Now, in verse 4, it says this. 
It's the great dragon's tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. So, does that mean, this is where we get a third of the angels fell with him. Does that literally mean a third of the angels fell with him? Here's the answer. Are the stars the angels? I don't know. I know there's a whole group of angels that fell with him that create an array of the demonic. But in Revelation, you have to be mindful of apocalyptic literature. That's what Revelation is. Numbers are often symbolic. Um, talking about angels, do angel, or stars here, do stars refer to the angels? It's possible, right? At, at times, they're, they're talking about the heavenly host in that way. But I'm un, unsure. So is it a third? I don't know. If it is a third, if this is a, a number that God is revealing to John so that we can know, that is a lot of demons, right? Because when you read in the New Testament, and let's say other parts of Revelation, of the number of angels that are worshiping God, it's multitudes that are innumerable. It's this vast array. And so what do you have? If it's that vast array, there's a lot of, lot of demons. So Satan has an army. I read this a couple weeks ago on the Sunday evening. In, in Daniel 10, you have this, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, this is the king I mentioned last week who allows uh, the uh, Israelites to go back out of exile eventually. Um, 100 years before he's born, he's prophesied about in Isaiah. You can read that later if you want. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was also called Belshazzar. That's his Babylonian name. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no wine, no meat, soy, or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions until the three weeks were over. So Daniel offers a prayer, and he's waiting for the answer to the prayer, and he's praying fervently, like, and he's waiting, God, give me this answer. Then he continued, um, don't be afraid, Daniel. So this angel appears to him after three weeks. Don't, don't be afraid, Daniel, since... Uh, you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard, and I have, given, I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerning a time yet to come. You can read the rest of the passage, verses 4, 4 to 11. So Daniel's praying. God sends an angel with the answer to that prayer. Now, you can figure that one out later if you want. When has God answered your prayer via an angel? As that angel is coming to answer that prayer, a demon who's in charge of the kingdom of Persia, he's the prince of Persia, right? We see that term prince used three times in John of Satan. Not Satan, but a demonic being attacks the angel with the answer to Daniel's prayer. Michael, the archangel, shows up, defeats the demon. I don't know how he did it. I mean, I just got, right? Is it, I have no clue, right? You know, just laser beam. I have no clue. I don't know. Um, the, the, the angel, they're not superheroes. The angel, Michael, defeats the demon and now the angel with the answer is standing there before Daniel to give him the answer. And he explains it to Daniel that this is what happened. I mean, if an angel came to you today and said, Steve, 
here's the answer to the prayer you prayed three weeks ago, and here's why I was detained, because the Prince of Hamilton, you know, was stopping me, but Gabriel showed up. Would you be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Right? That was a great explanation. One, you'd be terrified that an angel is there who would say, don't be afraid. But two, you'd be like, I don't have a category for this. For how many of you is this the first time you've ever seen this passage in the Bible? Like, you're like, I did not know this was there. It's okay. Yeah, a whole bunch of you, right? Like, wow, I did not know this passage was there. And it's sitting here and I'm reading it. And, and before when I knew it was there, I read it and kind of went, all right, let's go to Jan- Daniel 11 now. Let's get to something else. But this is what happens. So the demonic is active. They're all around us. They interfere. They, they have the ability to at times interfere with the answers to the prayers we've prayed. It's right here in the text. How often, I don't know. But I know what happens. And so there's a battle with the demonic, and it's complicated. It's beyond our understanding at times. How many are there? There's a lot. In Mark 5, it says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerenseas. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. So chains couldn't hold him, so it speaks to his supernatural strength. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs uh, and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus at a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So at some point, I don't know if he, Jesus sees the man and he says it first or the man runs up to him. But at some point, Jesus is commanding the spirit to come out. The spirit asks not to be tortured. And this man has superhuman strength. No one comes to do him. No one knows what to do with him. Jesus then asks his name. And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And again, he begged Jesus not to send them out of the area. Typically, Legion in, 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 was a, a term for like, in the Roman army for a, a group of soldiers. But the group was 6,000. It was a regiment of soldiers. Some would say it could be as low as 3,000, depending on who you read, but most often it's categorized about 6,000 in history. 6,000 was a legion of soldiers. So when this demon is replying and saying, we are legion, he's, he's talking about 6,000. Now that makes a bit of sense, because when Jesus cast them out into the herd of pigs, and you can do whatever you want with the pigs. I mean, some people in this, they get really, they struggle with environmentalism in this moment, and they struggle with Oh, no, they do. Like, all kinds of things come out of this passage. Um, But Jesus is the creator of the pigs. He's not asking the demons to destroy the pigs. They do that. He simply casts them out of the human being because a human being is more important to Jesus than the pigs. And he casts them into the pigs. They destroy the pigs. Jesus does not. I think that's important to note. So people accuse Jesus of destroying the pigs. That's not what he does. But the human being is more valuable than the pig. Some people say it's because Jewish people are tending pigs The text doesn't say that. I don't know. Maybe that's possible. But so with that, there's enough of them that they are part of this herd of pigs. There's probably not 6,000 pigs, but a lot of pigs. So there's a lot of demons. 
Now, like I said last week, it's important in context. Satan and demons are not godlike. They're not all-knowing. They're not all-powerful. They're not all-present. Satan could only be in one place at one time. If right now he's in Italy, he can't be in Hamilton. He is a creature. He hates that. He hates that he can only have whatever authority and power God has given him and no more. And he knows. He knows God created him. He knows that. And the same with the demonic realm. They can only be in one place at one time. I don't actually believe they can read our minds. That's omniscience. God's ability to know everything. I do believe, however, so I'm going to explain how they might know what you're like in a moment. So I talked about some of this last week. I know some of this is a bit repetitive. So what, what can demons do? Passages were in last week's message for these. But they can tempt us, deceive us, and lie to us, right? Satan is called the, the father of lies. So they can tempt us, d- demonic ability to bring temptation our way. They can deceive us, and they can lie to us. So how can they tempt us and deceive us if they can't read our minds? Well, they don't need to. They, they can see your spending habits. They can see when you're unwilling to forgive someone. They can see what sin you're struggling with. They can see the amount of time you waste. I was just doing a study. I'm writing a second article on Gen Z to follow up the one I wrote recently on the Gospel Coalition because of people have just been inundating me with questions. And so I've, I did a bunch of research in the last couple of weeks on Gen Z. And, uh, and, and it, it talks about how the average Gen Zer spends 10 hours a day, 10 hours a day, this is multiple studies I looked at, 10 hours a day on social media socially. I'm like, how is that even possible? And it says, they stay, the articles go on to talk about it's because they're spending it on, at work. They're all always like, they're at work, but they're doing this, right? And it's not work. They're, not, listen, some of you just put your heads down. I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying, this is what happens to those of you 25 and under. Uh, who don't have any memory of not having a tablet available for your hand or a phone, right? I can remember when cell phones were invented. I can remember when the internet showed up. When I went to school in my first year of school and I bought an IBM 286 computer, yeah, whew, state-of-the-art, VGA graphics. I was the only person in the whole dormitory that had a computer, the only one. Now, this is how fast life changes. In my fourth year, everyone had one. Within four years, it had changed that much. My first year, I was the only one. Fourth year, everyone had one. I mean, com- companies were crazy, right? Because companies would say things like, I'm not going to say which ones, but, but there's, there'll never be a market for everyone to have a computer in their home. That company did not do well. There'll never be a market for everyone to want to be able to stream videos on something so small as their phone. There's no market for that, they said. Nobody wants to watch something that big. But all of you do, right? And, and so what happens is the demons see it all. They watch it all. They know. They know who you are. They know your habits. They know what you watch. They know what you do. And then you can actually open up a foothold for Satan. I'll get to that in a moment. But how do they tempt you and deceive us? They know our weaknesses because we show it to them all the time. We let them see our sinful nature and habits. They will persecute us. Revelation 2, don't be afraid um, of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. 
and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. He says, yeah, you're going to be persecuted. Some of you are even going to die. It's part of Satan's scheme and strategy, but don't worry. He can't, they, can't, they can't take your soul. But some persecution is from the devil. Some is from the flesh, people acting on their own initiative. Some is from the world. You always got to be balanced in that. Not all temptation is from the devil. Some of it's from your flesh. Some of it's from the world. But in our lives, if it's categorized in thirds in Ephesians, is it possible that a third of my temptation is actually demonic? I know the, 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 the passage isn't leaning itself in that way. I just, I just think too often we either go way too far and say it's all demonic, or we don't give any credit to the demonic. And we need to be praying about what this looks like. He will cast, the demonic will cast fear, guilt, fear, and doubt. That's why John 16, when, when the, uh, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit coming and talking about judgment, he says he will prove the world to be wrong about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So he says, I want you to know that when the Spirit of God comes, he's going to convince you that you're not condemned, but the Spirit of God is. I mean, how many people come up to me over the years and say, Dwayne, I think I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what that is, Google it later. It's a fun read later on this afternoon, right? I think I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which is the unpardonable sin, the sin that can't be forgiven. Now, automatically I say to someone, if you're concerned about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you haven't done it. You can't be concerned about it and have done it. That's not possible because the people who've done it aren't concerned about it. So if you're worried about it right now, it's not you. Some of you just smiled. I feel good about that, right? It wasn't you. Um, but what happens is, is how many times do people doubt their salvation? Struggle, am I really saved? Does God really love me? And the Holy Spirit reminds us that the prince of the world is condemned and we're not. That's why in Romans it says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He can also, the demonic can also inflict pain and disease. This is 2 Corinthians 12. Paul has gone to the third heaven and he says, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This infliction Paul experienced was demonic. In Job, when Satan approaches God, right, to be able to, 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 be able to, to work at Job, when, when, when Satan approaches God and says, what about Job, your servant? You know, let me have him. And, and, and God allows him to do that because God's one who said, consider Job my servant. He's allowed to do anything but take his life. Job's really sick at one point in time. He can inflict illness. So sometimes illness is demonic. It's not always though. But it can be at times. Demons can teach false doctrine. I didn't get into this last week. Look at this, 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and those taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. So you're, they will abandon the faith and they will follow what? Deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. What is that? Anything that's not the true gospel. That is the liberal church. 
the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Christadelphians, the Unitarians. I mean, you go on. Anything that's not the true gospel is demonic. That's what Paul says right there in black and white. What does that mean? That we're in a spiritual war where we're engaging in conversations with the Mormons. They are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. They might be annoying. You might find them annoying. But they're not the enemy. The Mormons aren't the enemy. That's why it's important for some of you. In my, in my younger years, I believed in reading prime sources. I still do. And so I read Scientology, right? I, I read Dianetics, which is a book about Scientology. I, I read the Book of Mormon. I, I read the Koran. I read a number of Hindu writings. Hindu, when you get into Hindu and, and, and Baha'i and, and um, writings like that, it's hard because there's no centralized teaching. You have to read from a variety of sources, and it's hard to figure out what, what to read. You can kind of glean some things. It's different than the Muslim faith where you can read a book. Um, but there's lots of avail stuff that's available there. I read the Satanic Bible at one time. I had it in my office for a long time, and I don't know, when we moved from one office to this office, I decided, I don't think I need the Satanic Bible anymore, so I actually got rid of it. And, um, and then I, I actually ripped it in many pieces. I thought, I don't really want anyone to find this. Now, when you read the Satanic Bible, it's, 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 it's not what you might think it is. It just takes a number of things in Scripture and says the opposite about who God is and who Satan is. But it's not like it's full of occultic practices. It just tells you to do things that are wrong. These are taught by demons. So let me just pause there for a moment. Do you believe what the Apostle Paul just said? Do you believe what the Apostle Paul just said? If you don't, you have to ask yourself what you believe about the Bible. Because that's what the questions start to boil down to. What do I believe about Scripture itself? 2 Corinthians 11. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from uh, under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. So these are false apostles. These are false teachers that Paul's now engaged with in, in, with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Verse 13, for such a people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants, that's the demonic, also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So his servants, I believe, are both the demonic and the false apostles. He's talking about both here. And, and the one that's behind. Satan's masquerading as a, as, a, as a servant of light. Of course his army is, and those that are following him is. So in Acts 15, as we talked about this, how do you discern this? Right? When I went through the book of Acts, I talked about this at length. I took two Sundays and went through Acts 15. Because we've got to be really careful, right? Paul's here addressing Christians who are shifting in what they believe. So at what point is the shift enough that you'd say that's demonic teaching? Is it when someone's believer baptism instead of adult baptism? Is it when someone believes women can be preachers and some don't? At what point is, it this, is this the case? So I don't think it's either of those categories at all, right? This is why when I talked about Acts 15, I talked about the importance of sound doctrine, the four categories I think Scripture gives us stuff, unsound doctrine, disputable matters, and eventually heresy or blasphemy. 
we're in the points of heresy and blasphemy, people are actually handed over to Satan. You read that in 1 Timothy. That term's found twice in Scripture. Once because of what someone is doing. The second thing, because of what they're teaching, what they're believing. They're handed over to Satan, which means they're cast out of the community of the local church into the realm of the world. The realm of the world is Satan's domain to be taught not to blaspheme. And the point is that we believe that those people then, in being shifted or, or handed out or pushed out, ostracized, if you will, from the church into the world, that they will come back to their senses believing that they need God in repentance. But this is what's in Scripture. So at what point? So I would say that we're dealing with demonic, although also sometimes the flesh of the world, when we're dealing with things that are unsound in doctrine or actually heretical. So when people are coming out and saying all roads lead to God, that is heretical. When people are telling us that you don't need to repent of certain sins anymore, that it's archaic to believe that, that's heretical. If the Bible's called it sin. Why do you get to say it's not? It's unsound in doctrine, and it's demonic. It's just demonic. So that means as you engage in this, you got to be praying. In fact, this week I'm meeting with a group of people because of our leaving of True City who want to talk to me about what's going on. I mean, I've had so many of these crazy meetings. But again, one more meeting to talk about why we're doing it. And I'm going to read these passages for because I believe that what some of the people in the movement are teaching now is from the devil himself. It's demonic. And we'll see how they react. I, uh, it should be a fun meeting. But what am I doing going into the meeting? I'm praying about it. You need to be praying about it. We need to be actually coming before God and saying, like, this, this is the issue. Because what is being said is that we are sinning by creating this disunity between us and other believers. What I am saying is that is not the case. There's a point in Scripture where God says, no, what's being taught is actually not of him. It's actually of the enemy. It's actually of the devil. They are believing that it's of God, and it's not. And we are engaged full on in spiritual warfare. It's a battle. And it's a critical battle. Because it's a battle for the soul and the glory of God. Verse Corinthians 10 says this, this is Paul talking about the Greek goddess Aphrodite and Poseidon, likely they're the two primary small g gods in Corinth, as he's talking about why you don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Note what he calls them. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? He says, no. I know an idol is nothing. I know Poseidon, what he's saying, and Aphrodite don't exist. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to what? Did you see it? To demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate, be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in the Lord's table and the table of demons. What would that look like today? Well, I'm going to celebrate communion on Sunday, but read my horoscope on Monday. Or believe in some type of bad luck. Right? Avoid walking under a ladder. Now, listen, if there's paint up there and they're painting, like I would avoid it too. But a black cat, like we, we, superstitions, like they're nothing. But if on Monday you're like, you know, the cup of the Lord on Tuesday, you're like, oh, I gotta be wary of all this other stuff, like all this superstitious stuff, or psychics, or horoscopes. He says, you're opening your life to the demonic. 
So Paul says. So the big question in three minutes. So can a demon be possessed? Can a demon be, not a demon, a demon is, a demon is possessed. Can a Christian be possessed? That's what happens. I'm just, my whole mind is thinking about what's, what's three minutes out. Can a Christian be possessed? John Thompson did an outstanding job last Sunday night on this topic. He, he did an excellent job. You can't be owned by a demon if you're a believer. You are owned by the Holy Spirit. Is that not good news right now? Now, if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, you can be owned by a demon. If you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, you can be owned by a demon. But if you're a believer today, you can't be. You are only owned by the Holy Spirit. However, this is why I like the term demonization. I first read it from Clinton Arnold years ago. He wrote about this. Um, I don't know, I probably read it 20 years ago. He wrote a book called, uh, he wrote a book. I can't remember the name of it right now. The three something, three something. Anyway, it'll come to me later. Um, and he's written multiple books since then. Um, I just reread it, so it should be in my head, but it's not. So I'll turn to some of the passages John turned us to Sunday night, because these are the passages to think about. This one he didn't turn us to, but Mark 8, verse 32. Um, so Jesus spoke, spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus is talking about he's going to go to the cross. He's just told him, he's just told Jesus that he's, Peter has just told Jesus, he's the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus has uttered what words? Like, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He's just offered him a blessing because he knows, he gets that Jesus is the Christ. Then Jesus starts to talk about going to the cross. He's got no category for the cross because his mind has been influenced. Influenced by who? We're going to find out. But Jesus turned to him, looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, he said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So he's just blessed Peter, and now he turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. And, and it wasn't like a mistake. It wasn't like, get behind me, Satan. Oh, sorry, Peter. I, you know, not Satan, Peter. That, that's not what went on there, right? It wasn't like this, you know, we have twins. And sometimes I say, Jewel, and she's like, Ivy. I'm like, Ivy. Or the other way around, Ivy, Jewel, right? Uh, I, I do it every so often with them, especially if they're not facing me. And if they're looking at me, I can tell them apart easily. But if their backs are to me, I don't always know because their hair looks very similar to me. Um, and, uh, and so I'm like, I can't tell. And I'm going to take a guess and I could be wrong. And sometimes you try to do the thing where I try to get to the other side of them so I can see them and I'm not wrong. But that's not what happened here. He addresses Satan, who's influenced Peter so greatly that Peter is believing what Satan has said. You have the account in Luke 13 of the woman who's been sick for 18 years. Uh, a, on a Sabbath day, uh, Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was all bent over, could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she was strengthened, and she praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox and donkey and, uh, from the stall and lead it to give it water? He's like, you take care of your animals. Uh, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, note this, whom Satan has kept bound, so this is an infirmity from Satan, for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath from what? bound her. 
So two things. He says the infirmity is from Satan. Secondly, he calls her a daughter of Abraham. This term is used in other parts of Scripture. After Zacchaeus is converted, he's called a son of Abraham. It means true saving faith. In Galatians 3, 7, we are called the children of Abraham. It's a designation of true saving faith throughout Scripture. So when he's speaking of this woman, he's saying this woman, a daughter of Abraham. Where are they? They're in the synagogue where she was going to worship the living God. That's what she was doing. She's out of place of worship. Even with 18 years of sickness, she hasn't given up on God. She's showing up to worship. She's a true believer. She's a daughter of Abraham, a true believer in Yahweh. And Jesus says Satan had kept her bound for that long. So when you get to Ephesians 4 and it says, Therefore, put off all falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are members of your body. In your anger, don't sin. And don't let your, the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work to make something useful with their own hands. And they may have something to share with for those in need. Here it says, don't give the devil a foothold. Who's he speaking to? Believers. He's speaking to believers. He's already said you've been chosen. You've been adopted. This is the book of Ephesians. And you've been sealed by God's spirit. And now he's saying don't give him a foothold. What's a foothold? Don't give him a space. Don't give him a space. That's the idea here. Sin is one of the ways that you give the devil a space. Here he talks about lying. He talks about anger. And he talks about greed. Right? Greed at its base is not giving God what he's due. It's not honoring God with your wealth. That's greed. He says, now, in this passage, you need to know there's many other sins that are listed. But these are the three in the immediate context. That if you're going to continue to walk in your greed or, or your anger or your lying, you're going to give the devil a foothold. And so these are things you need to be renouncing and moving away from. The idea of foothold is to give the devil a space, an influence. So what does that mean? Well, I want to read from Clinton Arnold. This is one of my favorite quotes of his. Demonic spirits cannot penetrate to the core of this person's being and snatch away what belongs to God. That is good news. A believer may yield to the evil impulse um, uh, or to a demonic spirit, allowing it to assert a dominating influence over mind, will, or emotions, or even the body. But the person's new identity as a child of God cannot be erased or stolen, nor do demonic spirits have the ability to evict the Holy Spirit of God. That is a great. Three crucial questions about spiritual warfare. That is the book. It's on the screen. Um, it's a great book. It is a great read. So how do we understand this? Well, God's Spirit is in you right now if you're a believer. Right? Do you ever sin? Every day. So right now, God's Spirit shares who you are as a temple of God with sin. Right? Ephesians 3 talks about that. So that's part of you working through that. People say, well, God, God and Satan can't be together. Well, they were in Job. Satan approached God right into his presence. So somehow Satan has opportunity to do that. So some people describe it like this. John Thompson, this last week, it's in the book Clinton Arnold wrote about the idea of a house, right? And so your body's like a temple, it's like a house, multi-story house, right? You've left the window of the second floor open, right? The Holy Spirit is in you. 
but because the window of the second floor is open and there's unrepentant sin that's there, the devil's able to get in and he's able to influence a portion of the home. That's the idea that goes on here. So I believe that Christians can be demonized, not owned by Satan, but Paul wouldn't say don't give him a foothold if you couldn't give him a foothold. This woman wouldn't have this infirmity, right, from Satan as a believer if it couldn't happen. And so the devil can take a foothold. So really quickly, how do you give the devil a foothold? Five things. There's others. So unrepentant habitual sin. So if you walk in unrepentant habitual sin, you give the devil a foothold. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be greed. It could be pride. Right? That's one of the things that happens. That's why we need to repent of our sin. It's why we need, to, we need to come and renounce our sin. Number two, adherence to false teaching. When people start to adhere to false teaching uh, and, and move from the orthodox Christianity to other things, all of a sudden in the false teaching, false Christian teaching I could have said, they're being influenced by the demonic. Adherence to false religions. Right? Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, you name it. Is it adherence to the demonic? Exposure to witchcraft, the occult, or the psychic is demonic. Right? Now, we could debate some of what this looks like. I'm not going to get into all the specifics. Somebody's going to come to you after the service and say, what about Harry Potter? What do you do with him? And I'll say, what do you do with Lord of the Rings? And they'll say, oh. And then they'll say, no, I've got five reasons why the Lord of the Rings is different than Harry Potter. I'm like, okay, give them to me. And they'll start with the fact that Tolkien was a believer. I'm like, okay, I'll consent to that. Um, um, and then I'll say Narnia. And they say, well, Lewis was clearly a believer. I'm like, that's right. Sometimes you just, you just got to be careful about how far you go, right? I, I don't want to get into the specifics of all this, but, but as you pray and discern, there are lines where we all know, I mean, we're in the season of when you go onto whatever you stream onto your devices or TV, the occult is everywhere in these streaming moments right now, right? It's everywhere, and it's, it's made to be fun, or horror movies. I mean, I think horror movies are, are clearly, the majority of them, occultic. I'm not going to tell you which ones are and which ones aren't. Um, and then lastly, family history, right? Uh, sometimes we're dealing with someone whose grandmother has, 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 has been a medicine woman in another place or a witch of some kind, and, and we're working through stuff like that. So how do you work through this? And John Mahaffey will get into some of this tonight, but, but, and then next week as well. But, but I believe it's important to renounce sin out loud, to actually out loud, because the demons can't read your mind, to renounce sin, to actually be declaring, God, I renounce my pride. God, I renounce this. I renounce my anger. I, I renounce my sin. And I believe that after you renounce your sin, you ask God, for forgive. God, would you forgive me for my sin? I'm renouncing this sin, and I need your forgiveness. God, I'm repenting of this sin. I, I believe it's important to do some of this out loud so the demonic can hear you, that you have this, God, give me a hatred for sin. I mean, one of the things that happens is we don't have a hatred for sin. We don't see sin the way God does. God, would you grant me a hatred for my sin? And then God, by your spirit, would you cleanse me? Would you cleanse me? By the blood of Jesus. And sanctify me by the Spirit of God. So you renounce your sin. You repent of it. You, bring, you express your hatred of it. You ask to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And you ask to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So to close off, what do we do? We remember that Jesus has defeated Satan. Back to Matthew 12. They, they brought him a demon-possessed man. This is Jesus who was blind and mute. 
Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. This is really important. Who did Jesus say he drives out the demonic by? By whose power? The Spirit of God. Did you catch that? When Jesus was here, fully human, fully God, who did he rely on? The Spirit of God. Who's in you if you're a believer today? Sorry, Amy, I wasn't trying to point right at you, but I realized we made eye contact. I... Amy, who's in you? The Spirit of God. Is that not good news? That the Spirit of God who allowed Jesus to cast out the demonic is in you. Is that not good news today? That God's Spirit is in you. He indwells you. That's why as we look through the book of Acts, we cried out and said, Spirit of God, we need to get to know you better. We need to understand who you are and how you operate within us and what it means that you are here in us. I, I'll say this all the time when I debate at universities on, on apologetics, on the existence of God. I'll never use this because they don't understand this. There's lots of apologetics for why I believe God exists. But the number one reason why I believe God exists, why I'll never cave on my faith, is this. God's Spirit is in me, and I know that with no doubt. His Spirit is there. He's in me. Is that not great news? And He's in you. So you don't need to be afraid. God's with you wherever you go. His Spirit is in you. And Jesus has tied up the strong man to carry off his possessions. The strong man is the enemy. Jesus tied him up. Look at Colossians 1. For Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The strong man, Satan, was tied up by the stronger man, Jesus so that he could rescue us as the possessions of the evil one and bring us home. Is that not great news? Do you hear what Colossians 1 said? He's brought you out of the dominion of darkness. He's brought you into the dominion of the son he loves. He's redeemed you. That means he's bought you back. He grants you forgiveness for sin. That's why Romans can say of you, there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Is that not great news? There's no condemnation for anyone in Christ Jesus because we are covered by the blood of Christ. Jason, you guys can come up. But until that day, we're in a war. We're in a war. Until the day he either calls us home or he returns, whichever comes soon. I met with a gentleman who used to attend our church. He was an elder here years ago. He toured our facility this past week. We had a great time walking through it. And at the end, he said, he said I'm not a prophet. He said, but I just believe he's coming soon. I just believe he's showing up soon. I, I don't know when he's coming. And whether I die first or whether he shows up first, I'm the redeemed, chosen son of the living God, adopted by him and sealed for all of eternity. Praise his name. 
But until that day, we fight. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil wants to destroy us. They will lie to us. They will tempt us. They will deceive us. They will inflict persecution. They will bring suffering upon us. They will bring false teaching into his church. But they won't defeat the Savior. He's won. And he's victorious. But until that day, don't give him a foothold. And walk well with the Lord. Standing firm in the victory of Jesus Christ. Next week, I'm going to talk about angelology. What does it mean that God has granted angels? And what do angels do? And then two weeks after that, because the week after that, Sam Albury will be with us, I'm going to close off by talking about the armor of God. If you're around tonight, I encourage you to come to hear John Mahaffey. I have a great deal of respect for him, and he's going to take Q&A. He's going to walk through his journey. He's going to talk about renouncing the occult and what you do if you feel like you've opened your life to the demonic and they have a foothold. Would you pray with me? We are thankful that you are our God. And we're thankful, Father, that you have created all things, including us. We're thankful that you were able to speak things into existence by your very might and will. And God the Son, Jesus, we thank you that you didn't consider coming here something to avoid but rather you came cloaking your deity with humanity so you could rescue us from our sin. We thank you that you are victorious over sin and Satan and death over the world, over our flesh. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the victor, that you tied the strong man up so that his possessions, us, you could rescue from his clenches and we could be brought into your kingdom and domain as you redeem us. And Spirit of God, we thank you that you are in us. We thank you, Jesus, that when you left, you granted us your spirit. And Spirit of God, we thank you that you are in us. May we grow in our knowledge of what it means that you are with us everywhere we go, whatever we do. We need you. Because so often we live our lives as if there is no war and this war is waging around us. And so Spirit of God, remind us of that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.